The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brown with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about how focusing on internal processes can provide both internal and external benefits to a business. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Nikhil Nandagopal, co-founder and CPO at AppSmith. Nikhil, welcome to the show. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this with you. Uh, So why don't we get started with you giving a little background on yourself and what led you to start AppSmith? Yeah, uh, happy to do that. Uh, So I'm Nikhil. uh, I'm the Chief Product Officer at AppSmith. For those of you who don't know, AppSmith is a open source low-code tool that helps you build internal software really quickly. I myself uh, have actually been an engineer, uh, you know, in my past. Uh, I started my career building mobile applications. And, um, you know, I've worked in various industries, all the way from e-commerce to healthcare uh, and even travel. And, uh, you know, I, as an engineer, had to build internal tools myself. And uh, I was never really happy doing that, to be honest. Uh, I found them quite uh, lackluster uh, because they were typically just uh, a bunch of different CRUD applications uh, that had to be thrown together. They never got any product or design bandwidth. And overall, they just weren't the most exciting applications to be building at that point. But fast forward a few years, as I got into product management, I got to see upfront uh, how important these tools were for a business to scale and grow. I was uh, leading product at a food delivery startup. And over there, we really relied heavily on internal software to ensure that our marketing campaigns went well, our deliveries got out of time making sure that uh, our entire kitchen line uh, was operating efficiently. And, you know, I could see how important the software was, but the quality of these tools were just pretty, pretty poor, you know? And mm-hmm. I could empathize with the with the engineers building them because I, I used to be an engineer having to build them myself. And then that was sort of like my aha moment that, you know, if these, if these tools, if this software is so important, you know, why has it gotten better in all these years? And... That was kind of like my call to action that, you know, we had to do something about it. And that's, that's sort of where AppSmith came from. 
Great, great. Thanks for that that background. So let's let's start by defining the challenge that we want to talk about today. So I recently saw a report from Clockify that said, depending on where you work, employees spend anywhere between 30 to 40% of their time on repetitive work and tasks. I can certainly relate to this at previous uh, <laughs> jobs I've, I've had. Uh, so clearly this is a challenge, right? 30 to 40%, right. that's a lot. Um, yeah. So what are some of the problems this causes? You know, I think there are some obvious ones and maybe some uh, not so obvious ones. I think like the obvious ones are like, you know, your team members get burnt out. You know, they, they tend to feel like less productive. You end up uh, having to scale more than you need to because your team has to scale and it doesn't scale well with these, uh, you know, uh, with processes or with the, the way that your business is growing. And those are some of the typical efficiency things that you can see. You also probably tend to see things like, you know, error rates and stuff like that going up. I think some of the non-obvious uh, ones are uh, really interesting. You know, typically what I've seen is that because of, you know, your team members getting burnt out or getting so caught up in the execution of your day-to-day, -day, right? They're always busy. And because of that, they're not able to think of solutions holistically. Uh, they always think of solutions in terms of uh, how can I squeeze the last bit out of my time or how can I add like a 10 or 15% marginal improvement to what I'm trying to achieve, right? They, they're never in the mode of how can I take a step back from this current process and reinvent it or think holistically about the problem we are trying to solve or do away with all this time that we are spending and trying to achieve this and think of a better way uh, to achieve it, right? And, and that can lead to like incremental innovation instead of having real uh, exponential impact created inside organizations. And that's something that you won't be able to see instantly. It's something that you'll notice as your culture builds and evolves over time uh, will just end up becoming a problem for you. Um, I think the other one that uh, I typically see happen is that um, you end up in inventing processes to manage the processes, you know, uh, like yeah. one of the ones I remember is, uh, like we were trying to scale our, uh, support team and we had like a process where, uh, you kind of had to tag a, an issue that a user had so that the product team could get some good insight into, uh, what are the problems users are facing and they could make better you know, product decisions. Right. And, you know. Initially, it started off as, okay, someone would uh, send it on Slack, someone would send it on GitHub, someone would uh, write a Notion document somewhere. And over time, you know, it became difficult to manage that. So then we said, okay, you know what, we're only going to use it in this one particular way. Uh, and then it became uh, difficult for new members of the team to actually understand, oh, how am I supposed to behave? How am I supposed to actually go about doing this, right? And then you end up seeing that, okay, maybe we should try to train these new members. So let's create a process to train those uh, but then as they scale, then you realize that, oh, you know, there are too many members to train. So let's create a process to make our training more efficient, right? And then you just go into this loop of creating processes to manage processes, to improve processes. And, and it never really ends. And you don't realize that, you know, the way that you got stuck here in the first place is because you didn't actually optimize the root process and just make that more efficient. And I think, you know, I think uh, that's, that's a really uh, interesting place that you end up in as an organization over time uh, if you don't invest in, you know, in your process efficiency yeah. early on. Yeah. So you mentioned a few, you know, a few of the things maybe for a leader or a manager to look for, but you know, are there, are there any 
let's say for those leaders that are less hands-on with their teams and maybe don't know exactly what they're doing and, and how they're getting to things, any any symptoms at a high level that leaders should be looking for to to know, okay, you know what, we've, we've got this problem? Yeah, I think it definitely starts at the manager level because they're the ones that actually see it from it and personal because they have the most number of people reporting to them directly. And over there, you'll typically see things like, um, I don't have enough hours, uh, you know, to get this done, or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really burnt out, I'm really uh, busy uh, trying to achieve this, or, uh, oh, you know, uh, this is uh, failing, uh, so we should definitely hire someone to take care of this, or we need more people so that you know, we can actually uh, get this thing done, right? And I think those are some of the immediate things that managers could kind of see early on. But I also think that the thing that leaders should look out for is if your if your business and or if your product is scaling, right, and you're not really seeing too much change in your internal structures and your internal processes, that's typically uh, you know a smell for me that something is wrong because it's really unlikely that if your team is growing, if uh, you know your customers are growing, if your product is growing, that what worked in the early days is still continuing to work. Right. And that's that's one of the things that we just keep looking at, that how can something that used to work for us one year ago continue to work uh, for us today uh, when so much about what we know uh, about the company as well as about our users has changed. Right. So yeah. even if there is no uh, evolution of internal processes, that's a likely indication that something is going on. Apart from that, things like you notice that, you know, people are scaling proportionately with your system and that's a problem. But I think, you know, even if you just notice that there is no change, that's that's a pretty good indicator. Yeah, yeah. So now let's, for those that are taking steps to do this, uh, maybe not all the way there yet, but you know, let's talk about some of the benefits of improving these these processes to be more efficient. So, um, you know, you, we've talked kind of talked about the the problems and the and the symptoms. Now, maybe on the on the flip side, what are some of the common benefits that leaders that invest time and effort into these things can expect when they, uh, you know, when they have better internal tools and, and processes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, you know, I think the, um, the obvious ones are like, you know, lower, uh, error rates, um, fewer mishaps, better risk, um, more efficiency and things like that. I think the non-obvious ones are empowered teams, excited teams that are just happy to kind of mm. show up and get things done. Um, and this, this happens because, you know, if you think about process, right, a process is just a way that we go about getting things done, right? It's, it's um, sometimes the process is implicit where you might not have actually said, uh, hey, to release a new feature, this is how you go about doing it. And somebody might just decide that, okay, maybe we have to write a small spec and get it done. Uh, and sometimes it's explicit where you say that, you know, to release a feature, you have to go through step one, step two, step three, you have to have all this research. Yeah. And if that is what a process is at the end of the day, I think it whenever teams feel that they're not able to get something done in an organization, that's when they really raise their hands and say, hey, let's make this explicit. Can we have an explicit process to actually do this, right? And and the process, a lot of times ends up, it, if it's manual especially, right, it ends up limiting your ability to, to actually get the goal done because you have to spend so much time through all of this bureaucracy and uh, you know these different steps that you don't fully understand, 
but efficient processes, right? Efficient processes make it really easy for uh, new team members to adapt and understand, oh, this is how I go about creating impact inside an organization. This is how I go about creating change in the organization. And it also lowers the amount of risk that someone takes while trying to get something done by minimizing the chance that they might, you know, bring down production, for example, right? Yeah. And, and so teams end up being more empowered. They feel excited. They feel that, hey, if I have an idea, I cannot know how to execute on it. Uh, I know how to affect change. If I know, if I feel that I have a good way to improve the experience for our users, I kind of know that I can try this experiment and get it done without things blowing up, right? And, and that yeah. means like the, sort of like the biggest benefit. If all your teams feel empowered, you kind of move forward without having to second guess themselves, ask your managers for approvals, ask somebody else to double check their work. That's how you kind of move very fast with organization. And honestly, internal tools specifically, right? Like they, they really help you make changes to your product a lot faster. Uh, they help you make better decisions because now data becomes democratized. Uh, at any part of time, if you want to know some uh, piece of information about a set of users, pretty much everyone in the organization has access to that now because these tools are rampant in your organization and it's really easy to get access to them as opposed to only a few members having the knowledge of how does this one particular feature work or how does this one particular user cohort behaves, right? So it yeah. kind of helps you make better decisions and uh, it also kind of helps you understand how the overall organization works so, so that you can actually make product changes in it a lot, lot faster. Uh, I remember you know, while uh, we were running uh, the food delivery company, uh, it was really easy for us to launch new products quickly because uh, we could put them behind an internal feature flag. We could uh, roll them out to only a certain set of users. We wanted to disable it if we didn't, if we didn't like the results of it. It was uh, really easy to run experiments. It was easy to communicate with users and understand who our users were. It was easy to gain transparency into uh, why certain orders or pickups were not delivered uh, and make better decisions based on those. And, you know, internal tools bring about this shared understanding of the product and business and just yeah. enable more teams to get things done better and faster. And, and that's sort of like, you know, the uh, the best part of internal tools. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, a few things I, I heard you say there. One, and I, I completely agree with this, you know, motivated team members are going to just do better work. There's there's lots of ways to break it down, but you know they're going to be more likely to innovate. They're going to put in a little more discretionary effort, all, all of those kinds of things. So I think what you're talking about is really the that democratization of giving people the tools to do their work better and even to find ways to improve it. I, I think there's a lot of lot of value in that, and and it it reinforces a lot of things that I think are just you know best practices and, and things that any any organization should uh, should be adopting what if everything seems okay and you know teams are happy and 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 so on and so forth but how do how do you recommend that teams look at still improving even if they're pretty happy with the way that things are going like should you ever stop improving yeah I think that's a that's a good question. Honestly, I think the question here is more of a prioritization question yeah. um, because you can always improve anything, you know, but the real question is how big an improvement are we talking about? And, you know, uh, is the cost of improvement, you know, worth the benefits? That's generally why most internal 
processes start on simple documents or spreadsheets, and then they later evolve into tools, right? Because in the early days, you're still trying to figure out the process, you're still trying to figure out the value of it, you're still trying to see what works, what doesn't. Here, honestly, I think the main question that teams should probably ask themselves early on is, are you even having that conversation? Yeah. Even if um, everything seems okay, have you really built that culture of questioning that, hey, why are we doing this you know, boring thing that uh, could easily be automated? But sometimes it's not worth automating it. Maybe it's going to take a month to automate it, whereas maybe we spent just five minutes on it in a month, right? So then it, maybe the cost doesn't outweigh the benefit. But the question is, you know, have you built that culture within your team to constantly question the way that things are run? And or do people by default fall back to a systemic way of solving problems versus a kind of patch way of solving problems? The patch way is to say that, okay, let's uh, add another document or let's uh, add more people at it, right? But the systemic way is to, is to think about how can we make sure that uh, at our current state, we will never have to do this current process ever again. Or how can we make sure that the edge cases in this process aren't left to human or manual error and that system can automatically take care of it, right? So it's all about ensuring that users and organization are regularly having that conversation and then coming up with a good prioritization method to see what you know is right for you at that stage. Before we continue, I'd like to introduce you to a sponsor of the show, Partner Hero. Customer service outsourcing has long been available mainly to large enterprise businesses with long-term contracts and onerous procurement processes. Partner Hero is challenging business as usual and bringing the benefits of outsourcing to small and medium businesses as well as startups. With short, flexible contracts and fast ramp-up times, Partner Hero is making customer support outsourcing a viable option for small and medium businesses and startups. It's perfect for companies with seasonality expecting a temporary spike in volume or that simply need to scale up. And their focus on quality means your customers will get an experience that feels like it comes from your team. If you're ready to bring in outside customer support help for your company that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com slash agile, that's partnerhero.com slash A-G-I-L-E, to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from the Agile brand and the way of the setup fee. Now let's get back to the show. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the types of solutions available. You know, we've talked about a lot of the benefits of, of doing it and, and things. So uh, your company, uh, AppSmith, helps organizations create internal tools of many kinds. Can you, can you talk a, a little bit about some of these? Yeah, so honestly, <laughs> AppSmith is used for everything from customer support dashboards to OKR trackers to engineering uh, tools to automatically deploy to production and whatnot. And yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the you know, difficulties we've actually had with the product. It's that it's such a horizontal product. It can almost be used to build anything. Like we've even seen people build e-commerce sites on top of it, even though it's not technically an intern tool. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, the way that uh, we think about it is that uh, most organizations are trying to do you know, one of a few things. Uh, one, they're probably trying to replace their spreadsheets because most internal processes start off with your Google Sheets or an Excel somewhere. And you're typically trying to make either get a better visualization of it, better access controls on top of it, trying to improve the data consistency when you update a particular value over there, trying to ensure that that data is ingested not just in the spreadsheet, but also across various data sets, right? 
So they are generally trying to replace spreadsheets or they're trying to build a central admin panel visualization on top of their database. Uh, typically, this was done by React admin or Django admin, but uh, it isn't as customizable when you want to improve and tweak your internal processes. Uh, and so AppSmith is just a much more customizable way of building admin panels as well. The other thing we've seen is they also try to replace some of their one-off SaaS tools. Large organizations especially tend to purchase a lot of point solutions uh, to perform one particular task, like a tool for managing OKRs, let's say. And then they really struggle to marry all of these different point solutions together and to have them interact with each other because their APIs aren't really compatible with each other at that point. And that's where, you know, internal tools uh, like AppSmith uh, work great because you can talk to multiple data sources, different best endpoints, you can bring data in from data sources and spin up dashboards and read-write operations very, very uh, and funnily enough, we've also seen them uh, be used to uh, extend some of their existing SaaS applications. So you can think of, you know, a user using Zendesk uh, for customer support, but uh, if they need to initiate a payment, maybe they need to go to Stripe. They need to switch their tabs and go to a different software login and maybe initiate a refund. And that's quite a poor experience for a support person who is uh, you know, benchmarked on uh, how quickly is turnaround time for the ticket is. So they typically tend to create an embedded version of the internal tool inside Freshdesk or Zendesk and also allow it to resolve the ticket, initiate a refund, send out an email to the customer to say, hey, really sorry for your poor experience, but your order has now been refunded uh, and do all of that at the click of the button, right? So you see like some of these top various use cases, but uh, honestly, uh, it's used for everything from customer support dashboards to, you know, very uh, interesting engineering tools for CICD management. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, you know, any investment in, even if it's in a tool to improve efficiency and, and end up saving money, it's still an investment, right? So how, how should organizations measure success and, uh, you know, look at, ROI when when making an investment in, in some of these types of tools. Yeah, okay, that, that's a that's a great question. I think the ROI depends. Um, it's de it's changed depending on the uh, department or the uh, leader who's actually uh, spearheading the tool development. In the case of, uh, for example, uh, order delivery, uh, one of our uh, key uh, metrics there was like uh, you know error tolerance. Uh, we had to ensure that uh, you know fewer orders were getting returned. And there was like a business clear business cost to that. So as long as uh, the cost of uh, developing this internal tool were justified that ROI, it made perfect sense. In some cases, uh, such as customer support or DKYC, it comes down to you know the turnaround time of some of the agents being able to complete their tasks quickly, and that's uh, the that turnaround time typically has a monetary benefit for that particular company, and you know it's justified against that. But uh, typically, as I mentioned before, we also look at things like um, what is the onboarding cost to this particular, particular uh, process. If it's if it's uh, really high onboarding, then you know that you're probably inventing another process around this tool itself. That's uh, where the tool is not really you know, performing what was intended to perform, and now your tool needs an upgrade or needs uh, uh, needs some kind of evolution to begin performing its task more efficiently. And in general, I think it's really important to you know keep doing a pulse check the entire team using the tool or process 
uh, to just see how their day to day is going because it can be really easy um, for teams that are doing the work to get sucked into the work and uh, completely uh, forget about expressing their pains or even some great solutions to the current team process uh, that they have. And it's really important to keep having that pulse check so that the tubular process evolves uh, as quickly as the company evolves. Tools and processes getting left behind uh, is the number one uh, reason for growing pains in companies. Yeah, yeah. So um, one last question before we wrap up here. And, you know, what's what's one piece of advice that you'd have for a team that, you know, you've, we've talked a bit about this and you've given some great advice already, but you know, a, a team that listening to this, they're like, yes, this is us. We've got some struggles. We could certainly be more efficient. You know, what's, where should they start? Like what's, what's a good next step? Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great question. I think typically teams that are struggling with inefficiencies and don't know why it's because whether you want it or not, there is a process for something. It's just that you probably haven't defined it really well. And so in within a team, there's typically different ways of understanding the process, which is basically how we get something done, right? And so to me, you know, step one in resolving that is to actually sit down together and, uh, you know, state that, okay, to achieve this particular task, what do, what do we each individually think is the process that we go about doing? And if we actually spec that out and, and write it down, the team will typically end up seeing that they each have a slightly different interpretation or understanding of that process. And that's where uh, you know the alignment in the process kind of fails, and that's leading to the inefficiencies and frustration between the team to actually get something done. And so that's step one. I think then step two really comes down to addressing the gaps and alignment, right? And agree to a way to tackle these gaps, committing to change in those gaps, but also not forgetting what the unified understanding of the process is. So that's that's really important. It's only it, it can only happen if everyone has a shared understanding of how do we go about getting things done. And then really step three is just about getting it done and then keep convening, checking if we, you know, had the desired outcome and trying to tackle a rather gap. It's, it's, it's a typical product iteration cycle then. I think that that really works the best because you have to be constantly evolving. You have to keep your ears to the ground there. You have to be the reactive to different situations. Great, great. Yeah, no, great advice. Well, I, again, I'd like to thank Nikhil Nandagopal, co-founder and CPO at AppSmith for joining the show. You can learn more about Nikhil and AppSmith by following the links in the show notes. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast, brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkilstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.